Bibles and go to the book of Genesis chapter 12. You know that, uh, I guess that by this point in your life, that you don't always get what you expect. Take for instance a guy who was in the process of moving from where he had been working back home. He'd been on one of those assignments where he's away from home and that involved him being away from his family and everything for an extended period of time. And the job had come to a close, and so he began to make his way back home, and part of that involved a long flight. And his company had sprung for the first-class seat for him. He had been gone a while and had lots of frequent flyer miles. And he went into his first-class seat in the airplane, got over in his seat by the window, proceeded to kind of curl up and go to sleep before the plane ever left the ground. But, as I said, you don't ever, or you don't always get what you expect, and he was expecting to be able to sleep all the way home, and he got one of those people who sat next to him. You know the kind of people I'm talking about? This is one of those people who felt like all the world needed to hear what they had to say. And so this guy, number two, sits down next to guy number one, who's now curled up trying to sleep by the window, and he sits down and he looks over and he sees the guy kind of sleeping and it doesn't even phase him and he starts talking to him. Well, our first guy is kind of understanding but mostly tired and he has a little polite conversation but that didn't last too long because guy number two is beginning to get kind of obnoxious in his intensity of not letting the guy sleep. The plane takes off and they're on their way and guy number two is talking and carrying on and guy number one is trying to take a nap and it's just not working very well. And so guy number one says, look, I'd like to just be able to rest if you don't mind. The guy said, no, let's pass the time. Let's play a game. I don't really want to play a game. I just want to sleep. No, no, no. This is a great game. You're going to love it. Here's what we'll do. I'll ask you a question. And if you know the answer to my question, then I have to pay you $5. But if you don't know the answer to my question, then... No, let's see if I got that right. I'll ask you a question. If you don't know the answer to my question, you have to pay me $5. If you do know the answer, I'll pay you $5. The guy says, I don't want to play your game. I want to take a nap. No, no, come on, it'll be fun. Let's do this. And he just keeps badgering until finally the guy says... All right, but no, I just don't think I want to do that. Guy number two says, okay, I'll tell you what, let's do it this way. I'll ask you a question, and if you can give me the right answer, you, then I'll pay you. Oh, my goodness, I've totally blown this whole thing. <laughs> so let's pray and go home. How's that? I, I, get, I get stage fright. I get up in front of people like this all the time. I'll, I'll ask you a question. The guy number one doesn't want to play. Guy number two keeps pushing him. He says, okay, here's the deal. Let's play. If you can answer my question, then uh, I'll pay you some money. No. They get to it. Ask the question. Guy number one says, what's the square root of 948,000? Guy number one says, I don't know. Takes $5 out of his wallet, hands it to him, rolls over and goes to sleep. Guy number two says, well, that didn't work out exactly right. Uh, but now it's your turn to ask me a question. The guy says, I don't want to play your game. It's not worth $5 to me. I don't want to play your game. He said, okay, let's do this. If, if I don't know the answer to your question, I'll pay you $100. The 
The guy says, he's not going to stop. Okay, I'll ask you the question. If you can't answer it, then you pay me $100. If you do answer it, it's $5 a month. So he asks him this question. What goes up a hill on three legs, stays five minutes, and comes down on four? Guy number two says, hmm, well, I'm not sure. Guy number one rolls over and goes to sleep. Guy number two starts working through it. He takes out his iPhone and looks through it, and he doesn't have anything, can't really, you know, use the phone part of it. So he takes his credit card out, slides it into the slot, takes the phone out, calls his office. He said, man, I got a problem here. I'm fixing to lose 100 bucks. Um, do this research. What goes up a hill is there on three legs is there five minutes, comes down on four. And they do their research at the office, no answer. Guy whips out his iPad, he's working through it, can't get an answer. He's starting to get antsy about it now because he doesn't really have $100 to give up. And uh, so in the process of that, uh, the other guy is still sleeping. Finally, after an hour, he reaches over, wakes up guy number one, says, I I don't know, I don't know what the answer is. Then guy number one says, then you owe me $100. So he takes out $100, hands it to him. Guy number one rolls over and goes to sleep. Guy number two says, wait a minute, what's the answer? You, you know, that's the way this works. You've got to tell me what the answer is. The guy says, I don't know, takes out $5, hands it to him, and rolls over and goes to sleep. <laughs> that was a long way to get there, especially when I blew it in the early, but uh, you don't always get what you expect, even with a preacher who can't remember the right joke. Take your Bibles, Genesis 12. Here's what I want you to get from all of that. As we begin our history together, this new preacher and this church, what do we expect? Where do we see God in our future? That was last week. What I tried to say last week was we need to come together as a body of believers and figure out what God is saying to us as it relates to our future. Where will he take us? It doesn't really matter. What my opinion is doesn't really matter what your opinion is. What really matters is God's word for us. This is where we go. And so we need to come together as a body and say, okay, so God, where do we go? And what I tried to say last week is I believe that God will reveal that to us in the right time, in the right way, so that we can come together in all ministries of the church on the same page, launch out together to accomplish what God's called for us specifically to do. And so we're praying together about that. And if you weren't here last week, one of the invitation points that I gave was, I want you to pray with me about what God's plan for this church is. And we'll come together and we'll try to determine that together. But as we do that, what I want to do today is take another step with that and and ask us this question. As we move forward with God in his plan, what can we expect from God? Genesis 12 gives us a great point of reference. Now, I could go to any number of passages all through the Old Testament and into the New that we could have this same sermon because what it does is it provides for us this this, um, pattern, if you will, a paradigm of how God works with us. So there are a couple of things, actually three out of this passage that I want to show you. As we come together as a church and as we move forward, what can we expect from God? And Genesis chapter 12, the first three verses, helps us there. Let's read it, and then I'll give you the first one. It says this, Now the Lord said to Abram, 
Let me stop for a minute and just make sure we're on the same page. This is the same Abram who later will become Abraham. God will change his name. And I may use those two names interchangeably as we go through this. Just realize at this particular point his name is Abram. He comes onto the scene and this is how he comes on. Now the Lord said to Abram, go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. And I will make you a great nation. Or make of you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse. And in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. A paradigm of what we can expect of God as we move forward together as a church. Here's the first expectation. We can expect to hear from God. Now, that may be one of those points that you know, most of us go, uh, duh, I know. That's just part of how we tie our shoes every day. But I'm not so sure that it's how we tie our shoes every day. The tendency that many Christians have is to take a body of knowledge, biblical knowledge to be sure, but some of it's just tradition that we lock into it as body of knowledge, and we set it over here and we say, we've heard from God. And everything we do, we filter through that. I'm not saying we should not do that. As a matter of fact, that's one of the values of having a memory that we can put those things together and it becomes a stockpile of information for us to filter through. But there is another element of daily Christian living that many Christians never get to, and that is a personal, real communication with God. Years ago now, I was a younger man. That's not hard to do anymore because now I'm an old man, but... I was a younger man. I was doing youth work. I was a youth minister and had been for approaching a dozen years. I thought I would do it forever. I was serving a church in southeastern New Mexico. That church had a place at Glorietta Baptist Conference Center, which is outside of Santa Fe. It's about a six-hour drive for us from that church to that conference center. And so we would regularly go there for retreats, whether it's a ski retreat or uh, you know, a Sunday school conference or those kind of things. And in this particular case, we had a group of people at that cabin. I was the designated staff guy there with them for Sunday school week at Glorietta. Now, going into that, I had been in heavy discussions with a church out of Huntsville, Texas, to be their new student minister. Now, like I said, I'd been doing youth work for a long time by that time. And in my discussions with that particular church... It was my dream job as a youth minister. Immediately adjacent to the campus of Sam Houston State University, had a vibrant, active college ministry. It was kind of the going church in town as far as teenagers were concerned. They had a heart for discipleship. Everything that was part of who I was uh, seemed to be pointing to that's my dream job. And so I've been in negotiations with them, and we've been doing the interview process and all of that, and... Uh, and it was time for us to take this trip to Glorietta. And we were at a point in the discussions that they were waiting to have one final meeting, and then I was expecting a phone call from that church to say, we want you to come and give a call to be our student minister. And I was ready to do it. So we found ourselves at Glorietta. We sat through one of the evening services. That's, you know, they have conferences all day, and then in the evening it's like a big church service. Everybody comes together. It's a huge auditorium. It's beautiful stuff up there. And uh, so there I was sitting in there with Teresa and the kids. And in the midst of that sermon, I, I don't remember the sermon, to be honest with you. I don't know what was said. 
But I can promise you that I remember the invitation time. Because it was during the invitation that I clearly got a message from God. And God's message to me was, you're finished in youth ministry. That's not what I wanted to hear because I was thinking about taking my dream job in youth ministry. And so, because I didn't want to hear it, I started kind of, well, arguing with God. I started saying negotiating with God, but that wasn't it. I, I just argued. Now, God, you know I got this deal hanging out here. God said, nope, you're finished in youth ministry. It's time for you to preach. I handed my Bible to Teresa as soon as the invitation was over. I said, go back to the, take the kids back to the apartment in our church cabin there. I said, I need to go deal with the Lord about some stuff. And so, smart move, I handed my Bible off. Well, so I'm going to go deal with God. And so I went back to this place and... Uh, I got way back up in the mountains, uh, still on the campus grounds, and where it was just me and God. And I was arguing, God, I love youth work. I love working with teenagers. I'd done that for a long time. I was starting to feel like I knew a little bit about it, and my kids were getting ready to be teenagers, and I'd always look forward to my kids being in my group so I could smack them, you know. Well, I was smacking them anyway, but that's another story. Um, and so I was arguing with God about this. And I said, okay, God, I know what you said, but I need to know this is in fact it. And so I need some kind of help. And immediately a scripture reference, not a scripture verse, but a scripture reference came to my mind. I didn't know what it meant. I, didn't, I couldn't quote the verse. I didn't know what it was, but it was a scripture reference, and I didn't have my Bible. And so I remembered it. And so I finished my time with God there. I went back to the apartment thing, and I'd been asking God, show me, let I, you know, this is not of me, so you bring it up so that I know that this is you. Walked into the apartment there in our church cabin, and Teresa met me, and I said, I, I need to tell you what's going on. And she said, God called you to preach, didn't he? Okay. And I was remembering that reference, and so I grabbed my Bible, went to the book of Romans, and I opened it up, and it said this, and how shall they know unless someone tells them? Let me tell you something. God speaks to us. It is not enough for good Christian people to have a good sense of the general plan of God. That's important. But we need to hear from God. And the good news is that we can expect God to communicate with us. Now I know that anytime I start talking in this kind of clarity as it relates to hearing from God, there are those people out there who hear that and they say, oh man, this guy's going off the deep end with that mystical, ethereal kind of stuff. Let me tell you something. A man with an experience is never at the mercy of a person with an argument and I know God will communicate with us because he's done it with me many, many times. And so our responsibility is that we listen to what he has to say. And we don't know how God spoke to Abram, but I want you to go back to that verse, okay? Now, from time to time, I'll do audience participation with you. You understand how that works? I'll ask a question, you respond. What did God say to Abram? Or what does verse 1 say? The first few words, and God... Okay, this is audience participation time. 
I'll ask a question, you respond. And God said. We don't know how, but we do know what. By the way, just for the record, the, the how question with God is usually the one that we get hung up on. God's not concerned with us knowing the how a lot of the time. He is concerned with us knowing the what. And so God said to Abram, what? Go. So before I get off of the fact that God will communicate with us and we can expect that from him, let me give you one other example from my life. Just a handful of years ago now, I was in a formal education process that was eating my lunch. Does that communicate? I was in over my head. I was wondering what I was doing. Then I remembered that God told me to do it. So then I started asking God to let me out of it. And, you know, God just doesn't always uh, cooperate with my plan. And so in the process of going through this education thing and being over my head with it and not really enjoying it too much, I went to God and I said, I need help in knowing what to do. If you won't let me out, at least walk me through it. And it was like I was getting nothing from God. I've been studying in the book of Isaiah. I'd never devotionally studied through the book of Isaiah, and so I kind of took that on, and I came to Isaiah chapter 30. And I started my first day in the office on Tuesday with the church staff with this little devotional because it is such a life verse for me based on what God did with me there. Now, I'm going to read through these couple of verses, and I'm going to use the word teacher. Actually, Isaiah uses the word teacher. Understand that that's teacher with a capital T. It is a reference to God. And Isaiah has been given this prophecy about how God is going to call Israel to task or Judah to task. And he's not going to let them continue to get away with their, uh, their rebellion. And yet there is this message of hope. And so Isaiah writes these words in chapter 30 beginning in verse 20. And though the Lord give you the bread of adversity and the weight, uh, water of affliction, yet your teacher, that's a capital T, that means God, yet your teacher will not hide himself any more, but your eyes shall see your teacher, and your ears shall hear a word behind you saying, this is the way, walk in it, when you turn to the right or when you turn to the left. You know what that is? That was God speaking directly to me, saying to me, you are not in this alone. Your teacher, that is capital T, that is God, whispers over your shoulder as you walk, this is the way, turn here. Stop, turn there. That's the God we serve. Not some dead, distant figurehead of a deity. He is the living God, and today we can expect him to communicate with us. That's good news. It may not seem like good news to you, but you're not sitting in my chair looking at a church saying, God, what do I do with these people? And God says, I whisper over your shoulder. You know the good news about that is not just my shoulder, it's your shoulder too. So as we come together, now we're building off of last week to today, as we come together and we look for the hand of God and listen for the voice of God, we can expect him to communicate with us. Good news. As good as that news is, the next expectation is a little uh, less comforting. 
Because the second expectation is that we can expect God to take us out of our secure zones. Let me put that right down on the bottom shelf where we live. We can expect God to jerk the rug right out from under our feet from time to time. Okay, now this is where some of you are out there going, oh, this new preacher, he's different. This is not that comforting kind of message where you stand up and, oh, God is love and, you know, isn't it great to be in the family of God? Yes, it is. But the reality of Scripture is that God consistently moves us out of our security into his grace. Oh, I hate that when he does that. You see, part of what's at work here is we all have these secure zones that we establish around ourselves. We've done this, Teresa and I, over the last couple of weeks. You, you want a good definition or a good example of what being uh, un, let's see, in, not insecure but unsecure? Try this. Take everything that you own, box it up, Put it on a truck and let that truck drive away from your house. And remember, as they're driving away with all of your stuff, that's the lowest bidder taking my stuff right there. (laughs) This is a little bit disconcerting. It causes me to step back and go, maybe I should follow that truck. We build secure zones around our lives or within our lives. We do that because we like control. Don't really, most of us shouldn't really spend a lot of time throwing off on other people about being control freaks because we're all control freaks. When you really boil sin down, that's the essence of sin. It is that part of us that says, I will be God. I'll choose what's right. I'll choose where I'm going to go. I'll choose, not just for me, I'll choose for you, unless your personality is strong enough for me not to be able to pull it off. But that doesn't keep me from trying. That's the way of the world. And that's the essence of sin. And that's what separates us from a holy God who is, in fact, in control. And yet when we step in and say, I'll be in control, that holy God says, you can knock yourself out trying and you're going to knock yourself out trying, but I will always be God. And so that's the problem that we have. We want to be in control. And so we set the parameters of our lives so that we're in control. You know, I, I had an experience this week. I get it. Okay. Y'all were telling me for a while. You're telling me about it. Now I get it. Teresa and I found ourselves on Dallin Drive Road, whatever it is, in Beaumont, Friday afternoon, 4 o'clock. Big mistake. And this big, long line of cars going nowhere. When you find yourself in situations like that, does the control mechanism of your life kick in? I started thinking to myself, I should find an alternate route. Oh, that's a great time to think about that when you're stuck in traffic and you can't get out of it. Secure zones. Hang on to that for a second because I want to take you another step here. 
this is a key truth. I don't always say things that are really profound, so when I get ready to say something, I'm going to alert you, okay, so you'll remember it. This is profound, what I'm about to say. God is more interested in developing your faith than he is in bringing you comfort. Let me get that back out there for you. It's not that God doesn't care about your comfort. It is, though, that God is more interested in developing your ability to trust him than he is in your comfort level. Look at Abram here, and let me show you where we find this. Three different levels that God figuratively, literally, jerks the rug out from under Abram's feet. It is not about comfort for him. It is about God systematically isolating him where all he has left is God. Look at that verse 1 again. Now the Lord said to Abram, go from your country. That's the first level. It is that sense of national identity. We just came through the July 4th holidays when we as a country, at least theoretically, step back and say, isn't it great to be an American? That's the point of reference that God starts with Abram. Go from your country. What's the next one? And your kindred. That's the idea of clan. If you're going to go to a family reunion, that might start getting close to that. Because you go to a family reunion and if it's a big family, you get people that you haven't seen for years. And you really don't know. The only thing you have in common is you share the last name. And you don't really like them anyway. But it's good food at the family reunion. That's kind of the picture. It's the clan picture. And so God says, get out of your nation and get out of your clan. And then ultimately, what's the third one he says? Out of your family, the, your father's house, your kindred. He's, so what God has said is the big picture, go away from that. The next smaller picture Go away from that. And then finally, that last picture in a patriarchal society where the father is the one who runs it all, he says, go away from your father's house. And all that Abram has left now is God. Not especially a comfortable position. And why did God do that? Why is it that God said to Abram, I want you to get up and leave all of that. Oh, by the way, there's one other point of uh, insecurity or unsecured element to this. Where did God tell Abram to go? You see, I'm good with God. God says to me, Mark, get up and leave everything and go to Lumberton. Okay. I've met some of the people in Lumberton. I've seen the area. I'm there. What did God say to Abram? Get up and go where? Now you see, now God, you just tell me where. Now the control part of me says, tell me where and then I'll decide if I'll do it. Tell me you're not like that with God. Go to a place I will show you. Talk about an open-ended, unsecured territory. Okay, God. So how am I going to know when I get there? I'll tell you when you get there. So you haven't said anything today, am I there? I told you I'd tell you when I get there, when you get there. See what God's done? He has so isolated Abram that Abram must 
hear from God. That's back to the first point. We know that he will speak to us. But now the next section is he'll move us into a situation where we have to hear from him. Not all that comforting, but clearly in the center of God's plan. How much of your prayer life, let's take it to an individual level, how much of your prayer life is aimed at comfort? Even prayer for other people. Now, I don't know any, okay, I'm going to be really dangerous here. But I've heard all my life in churches, prayers like this. Now, God, you need to be with Aunt Sally Beth's big toe because her big toe, well, I mean, you know, it's bad to look at, but she says it hurts. And so, God, we want you to take care of her big toe. Now, is that, is that an okay prayer? Yes, it is. Is that the best way to pray for Aunt Sally or Sally Beth, whatever I said her name was? Maybe not. Because maybe God's allowed that big toe problem for her to teach her to trust him. And the worst thing that could happen would be for her to get comfort there. You see what I'm saying? Now, that gets on a little bit squishy ground for us spiritually. But as a church, that's where we find ourselves, I believe. God has a future for this church. I'm confident of that. But I want you to know, because I believe this is a paradigm for how God works, we can be sure that as a church, there's some squishy ground out there for us. And there are going to be times that we're not going to feel all that secure with what God is doing with us because God will be systematically taking us to a deeper level of trust in Him. Now, the key is that the leadership and the church at large understand that's what God is doing, and we don't just freak out because things are not maybe as smooth as they might have been. And we have to walk with God and listen to God and be committed to go wherever he tells us to go, as dark and dangerous as that might seem at the time. Now, I've got to tell you, if I was sitting out there listening to me like you are, I'd be going, whoo, this sounds like it might be a ride. I don't know what God has in store for us. We're all praying about that together. But I can assure you that God will communicate with us what his plan is. And he is taking us somewhere. And as I look out, and I've been here a little bit longer than I had been last week, and as I look out into this community, what I see is a church here uniquely positioned Financially, leadership-wise, facility-wise, location-wise, uniquely positioned to make a definitive impact on this community. We will not do that without facing squishy ground. Because as a church, just like as people, we like security. We like to feel nice, comfortable, It's always dangerous when you get out into the field of ministry. Always. And it is into that field that God has called this church. Let's pray together. Father, we come to this time. There has been enough laid out on the table this morning for us to kind of want to hedge our bets a little bit. We're comforted by the fact that you will speak to us. 
were disturbed by what you might say. And yet, Father, we also know that what you put with those is what we see with Abram in that promise that says, when you are faithful, I will bless your socks off. So, Father, help us to see what we need to see, to hear what we need to hear. Give us ears that are willing to hear, feet that are willing to go, following hearts full of courage because we have heard the voice of God as he moves us forward. Lord, I believe you are about big things here. May we be faithful regardless of the cost. That's our prayer.